I don't like to do this, but I have to say at the outset, two weeks ago, I misspoke. I didn't make a mistake, I just misspoke. I didn't lie, I misspoke. I said that I was done and that we had completed the Ready or Not series. Well, we aren't. So I've added two messages, and um, my wife was really disappointed that I was not going to continue with uh, the eternal kingdom in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And after uh, reading it through several times, I decided I think she's right and this time. <laughs> And so uh, today we're going to be in Revelation chapter uh, 21, uh, the eternal kingdom, heaven, the eternal kingdom, part one. And then next week, Revelation 22. I recently read about an African student named Lawrence who was taking a seminary preaching class. I just remember preaching classes were very painful for me back in those days. And Lawrence chose a scripture text that described heaven, depicting the joys that Christ followers will experience um, when they see Jesus, when Jesus returns and establishes his eternal rule. He began his sermon by saying this. He said, I've been in the United States now for several months. I've seen the great wealth that is here, the, the fine homes and the cars and the clothes. I've, I've listened to many sermons here too, he said. But I have yet to hear one sermon about heaven. People here don't seem to need it. In my country, he said, most people have very little so we preach about heaven all the time because we need it. You know, sometimes the perspective from someone outside has tremendous insight. I think there's a lot to think about when we think about heaven and how today we view heaven. Is it just an escape? Is it, is it just, you know, playing a harp on the clouds, you know? What is heaven really all about? Does the American church want heaven? Do, does the American church need heaven? Do we live for heaven? If you remember, Jesus once prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a time coming when that prayer will be answered. And I'm not sure that we are ready for that because it's a time when God's will will be done on earth just like heaven. That's total obedience all the time. It's full devotion to Christ, total devotion to Christ. And sometimes I don't think that interests us all that much. 
When it comes to talking about heaven, some parts are easy to talk about, some parts are difficult. There's a lot we do know, and there's a lot we don't know. I'm reminded of the words of Deuteronomy 29, 29, the words of Moses, and he said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. A lot of things God hasn't revealed to us yet, and we, we have yet to discover them. And there are many things that God has revealed to us, and it is important that we give our lives to understanding those to the best of our abilities, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, some things, even that are revealed, are very hard to understand, like many things in the book of Revelation. So, uh, what are some of those things that have been revealed about heaven? And we're going to look at that today in Revelation 21. And I'm going to begin with the first uh, eight verses of Revelation 21. And let me just read those as we start. And this is the Apostle John, who is a writer, the same one who wrote the book of the Gospel of John, as well as 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, those letters. And here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he dwells with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They will, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So in verses 1 through 8, we have the kingdom to come. The one that Jesus prayed about, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This is that kingdom, the kingdom to come. In verse 1, we have the new creation. John simply says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. One of the things that we see in the book of Revelation, and especially when we get to chapter 21 and chapter 22, we have a lot of references to the book of Genesis. Things that were started and failed are going to come to a new, 
completion and be finished. So let's start with the context before, in Revelation 21. Before this new heaven and before this new earth, if you go back to Revelation 19, you know, we, we, you know, this is many weeks into this series about the return of Christ and the end time events. In Revelation 19, Jesus returns and he comes and he brings judgment on earth. The long-awaited return of Christ. It's already happened now. And then we went to Revelation 20. And that's where we were two weeks ago. And we looked at the millennial kingdom of Christ. A lot of different views about end times events. I, I acknowledge that. A lot of godly people have different perspectives, and that's okay. And I just shared my perspective. And in Revelation 20, the millennial reign of Christ, referring to the thousand-year reign. I take that to be literal. It's mentioned uh, six times. And... Um, it's a time when God will fulfill his promises made to Abraham and to David and other promises in the Old Testament, and they will be fulfilled on a specific piece of geography. And we call it the promised land. And that will include, uh, as I understand it, the raptured church, the resurrected church, and it will include those who are alive when Jesus returns, who are believers in Christ, those who have survived the great tribulation period. And there's going to be a rebellion at the end of that, and then there's going to be a final judgment. So the final judgment has already taken place. It's done. There is no more judgment. It is complete. It is done. It is finished. And now God does a do-over with creation. What will creation be like? What will a new heaven, a new earth be like? It's going to be like the old earth, but better. God created a beautiful uh, universe in creation. And the, the main difference that we see is there's no longer any sea. So those of you who love oceans, I don't know what, what's going to replace oceans and, and, the, and the beach for you. There's going to be water, but it's going to be marvelous. There are going to be trees and grass and flowers and plants and mountains. and uh, it'll, It's going to be an awesome place. Isaiah referred to this new heaven and new earth. And Peter referred to it. I want to remind us of that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, Peter said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. This is judgment on earth. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And this is for us here. You ought to live holy and godly lives. That's, that was God's message, getting ready for the new creation. Um, 
as you look forward, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Are we really looking forward to this day? Are we hoping that it comes in a speedy fashion? That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And this is what was on Peter's heart. Peter was looking forward to this day. It will be a place of righteousness in verse 2, we have the new city. And he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. God's city now comes from heaven. Uh, she is prepared for God, just like a bride is prepared on wedding day for a groom. The bride is a city. I think we have a picture. Okay. I'm going to show you a few pictures today about maybe some aspect of the new Jerusalem or the new city because artists have tried everything. And when we see what's written about this city, you know, go ahead and take a shot at it. But just going to show some different things about how people have tried to describe or picture for us this city. Um, and uh, clear back in Genesis 12, and I find this really fascinating. Clear back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, chapter uh, Genesis chapter 12 in the story of Abraham and uh, the promises that God gave Abraham. And God called Abraham in Genesis 12 out of Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, Hebrews 11 uh, talks about this. Now, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed. And he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, the good thing is he had Sarah with him, and she wasn't afraid to ask for directions. And Abraham didn't know where he was going, and by faith he made his home in the promised land. The promised land. This is the land that's so important for Jewish people in the Old Testament. It was land, geography specifically, promised to God's people. And they have never claimed it yet. That's why prophecy is so important, because I believe they will totally be fulfilled in the future, in the promised land. And God sent Abraham out to look for it. And uh, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By, by faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. Next slide. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. They, they never got to really, you know, build houses and build cities. Uh, they, they were just strangers and travelers in this promised land. 
And for he was looking forward, look at this, to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham in Genesis 12, God gave him this idea, this vision of a city that was on his heart and he was looking for it. And, and that's why he was going to find this place. And he never found it, but he found the promised land. God laid his, on his heart 2,200 years before the birth of Christ. In verses 3 and 4, we have the new relationship. In the new Jerusalem, believers, included you and I, if you are a believer in Jesus, will have a new relationship with God. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. The relationship will be close and personal um, and intimate, and God will not be distant, and God will not feel distant, and there will be no other gods there will be no other temptations. There will be nothing of higher value in your life or more important than Him. And there will be no sin nature for us to wrestle with God. We will be at peace. And we will understand. And then comes the most famous part about heaven in verse 4. And we love this one. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They will be, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's an awesome, awesome time to be alive. No more reason for tears. No more death. No more school shootings. No more violence. No more war. No more satanic kingdom. No more mourning. No more pain. No more sadness. No more parents burying children or burying anyone. No more cancer. No more strokes. No more heart disease. No more arthritis. No more dementia. No more COVID or any other disease. No more alcohol addiction. No more meth or drug addiction. No more pornography. No more sexual addiction. No more sexual abuse or physical abuse. No more racism. No more sexism. No more hurricanes. No more tornadoes. No more earthquakes. No more wildfires, no more animals that attack people, no more shark bites or snake bites, no more aging, that's kind of a snake bite, no more pollution, no more toxic waste, uh, no more allergies. This is what God has in store. The old order, the, the order that we experience will have passed away. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine that? It's coming. Are you ready? I can only imagine. 
We could write a song together. I will be able to sing when I get to heaven. Verses 5 through 8. We are reminded that there are two choices. The king speaks, and he is Jesus in verses 5 and 6. He who was seated on the throne. We have a picture of that. Okay, this is just one artist's depiction of the eternal kingdom with Jesus on the throne. Just, just somebody's perspective. I don't know if this is what it's going to look like. And Jesus said, I'm making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One of the important things we need to know is that God gave this vision to John the Apostle in the first century. And John was to take this back to his people. He was to give it to the churches, specifically the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And, and they were to be reminded of what, what's coming and um, they're, they're going to need to be reminded of how to live. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last letter. And the idea is Jesus is all from the beginning to the end forever. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is complete. There's nothing we can add to him. And he says, I am, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was Jesus. He was there. And he'll be there at the end. In Revelation 21, Revelation 22, in the eternal kingdom. So many things are going to go back to the book of Genesis. And then he says, to the thirsty, this is for John's audience, and this is for us. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And, and Jesus uses metaphors here. To the thirsty, to those who are missing something and have a hole in their heart and they're searching and people do a lot of things to search, to fill the hole in their heart. And the only way that it ultimately can be fulfilled is that relationship with God. And for those who are thirsty, who, who want more, who, who want to know and have a connection with the true and living God, Jesus said, I will give without cost. It won't, it's not going to cost you anything from the spring of water of life, referring to eternal life, that continuous life. You may remember that Jesus referred to this back in uh, John chapter uh, 7, verses 37 through 39, and uh, on the last day of the great day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. There's that metaphor. Whoever, and here he explains it, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Rivers of, how can that be? Well, it's a, it's a metaphor. 
And he goes on and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. That those who believe, and this is true today, those who believe in Jesus, God gives them the Holy Spirit in them and he connects them with God and they're given eternal life and that life is ongoing and continuous and the Holy Spirit makes all of his resources, his strength, his leadership, his guidance available to those who believe. Verse 7 he talks about those who choose life. And this is their outcome, verse 7. Those who are victorious, those who put their faith in Christ, who overcome uh, the death penalty of sin, will inherit all this. This is heaven. This, this, we will inherit all this. Everyone who believes will inherit this. And he's, Jesus says, and I will be their God and they will be my children. Those who are victorious. It's a place where there will be no more death or pain or sin. And then there's another group, and it's those who choose death. Verse 8, but the cowardly, those who don't stand up for Jesus, the unbelieving, those who have never placed their faith in Christ, the vile, the evil, the murderers. And by the way, in the Bible, capital punishment is not murder. It's justice in the Bible. Self-defense in the Bible is not murder. It's a justice. Um, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, it doesn't make any difference. Those who practice magic arts, those who are dabbling in the supernatural apart from God, the idolaters, those who worship other gods, those who have things in their life that are way more important than God, idolaters, and liars, those who deceive, those who are dishonest, those who do not tell the truth, those who lie. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And it happened in Revelation 20. But Jesus wants John to take this back to the church and remind people what's at stake. There are choices and the people in the first century need to face those choices. And it's a reminder for us. There are rewards for faith in Christ and living for Him. And there will be a judgment for those who are without faith and who ignore God. Jesus said these words in, early in his ministry in John 3.18. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus reminds them of the very same thing. The truth is, we are all sinners. Everyone, everybody in this room is a sinner. 
And sin separates us from God. God is the one who provided the solution, and that's why he sent Jesus. Um, he sent Jesus to be a solution to our own sin penalty because the wages of sin is death. And that's eternal death. It's not just physical death. It's eternal separation from God. Jesus called it hell. And um, Jesus died on the cross for us. He, he was a ransom payment for our sin. He paid the penalty and was accepted by God totally in full. It was enough. There was no more to do. And our response, the offer given to us, is to believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, to trust in Jesus as the only way of salvation. Now, today we're going to celebrate communion, and that's just a reminder of what, what Jesus has done for us. In verses 9 through 14, verses 1 through 8 is the kingdom to come, and now we come to 9 through 14, and it's the bride-to-be. The bride is in verses 9 and 10. One of the seven angels from Revelation chapter 16, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So who is the bride? Who is the wife of the lamb? Is it the church? Because we think of the church being the bride. And the answer is yes. And the answer is no. Verse 10 has the answer. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city. Um, so, uh, the eternal kingdom has mountains. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God. The holy city is the bride. It's God's redeemed people. Yes, the church, but it includes God's people from every age. From the Old Testament saints and from the New Testament saints. In verses 11 through 14, the picture continues, and we have the bridal portrait. Verse 11, it, that is the holy city, shone with the glory of God. It was spectacular. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crisp uh, crystal. Now, John is going to go on and describe in details. I find this part really hard. I can't see what John sees. Um, John had never seen anything like this before. Imagine if it were you, and you were given this experience to see what John saw. How would you write it down? I have no clue what I've done. I'm amazed at his vocabulary that, that he is able to describe with this many earthly things. Uh, but this is exactly what God wanted written down. In verse 12, it, that city, had a great wall with 12, greats, with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. This city includes the redeemed of the 12 tribes of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 13, there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 
apostles of the Lamb. The Lamb is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and that's the, how John the Baptist described Jesus, the Lamb. He became the sacrificial Lamb. He, he, his sacrifice was a covering for all of our sin. Um, now we finally come to the last section in verses 15 through 27, and we even have more detail. And we, first we have the measurements in verses 15 uh, through 17 of God's city. Verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. So it has a footprint of a square. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Oh, it, it's not just a square, it's a cube because it's as high as it is wide and long. 12,000 stadia. Some scholars say this is 1,500 miles. Some scholars say it's 1,400, depending on the measurement. It's a cube. I think we have a picture. Okay, that's how big the square would be if it covered the United States. That's the eternal kingdom size. And it's 1,500 miles high. You could have high-rises. You can have your high-rise condo there. There's room for a lot of people. Verse 17, the angels measured the wall using a human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. That's 216 feet, 18 inches a cubit. Um... The walls signify the safety and the security of this place. And I, you will utterly be safe in this location. No one's ever going to break in. Not to worry. Verses 18 through 21, we see the building material. John continues to describe heaven with known earthly materials. And, and uh, I'm amazed at his ability to write this down. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. What did John see? I'm not sure. Pure gold is not like pure glass, but it somehow was. And I, the question I have here is, were the materials created just for heaven? I don't know. Verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. It shows the, the value, the preciousness of this. And it shows uh, the awesome beauty. This place was spectacular. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelve amethyst. Lots of greens and then yellow and uh, blue and brown and red. And we have another picture. So 
That's just a way to mark out the foundations. I don't think it looked like that, but it was just showing something about what was there. It, it could have looked like that. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Those would be big pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. The great, the street, the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I don't think gold is like transparent glass, but this street is. Is this earthly material, or was it created just for heaven? I don't know. The new worship center, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The center of worship in heaven is the Father and the Son. They will be the place to worship. There, there's going to be no go-betweens. Nothing separating. You are in the Holy of Holies. Verses 23 and 24, we see the new lighting plan. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb its, its, its lamp. It doesn't say there is no sun or there is no moon. It says they're not needed for light. Why? Because there's a greater light. It is the glory of God. It is the Shekinah glory it will be so bright. There will be no more darkness forever. I think we have a picture of this one. So, no big deal. It just shows light. And it would be God who's giving the light. Verses 25 through 27, we are reminded again of the access to this place. Verse 25, on no day will the gates ever be shut and, and there will be no night there. Now, I'm not sure if my wife is going to be comfortable here for a while. She likes doors shut. She likes the garage door shut all the time. She likes the side door to the garage shut all the time. Every night she checks the door locks <laughs> two or three times before we go to bed. You'll probably get used to it. <laughs> Verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. This is a reminder to John's audience. Not everybody will be invited there. Not everybody will experience that. It's a reminder for a self-check. Are we confident that we know for sure that we're going to heaven? Because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's also a reminder for the church. We have a mission, and it is to add to the population of heaven. And we are to steer people off of the road to hell. Only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a record of those people who have placed their faith in Christ. The writer of Hebrews sees this picture of heaven in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 22 and, and 23. And 
The writer says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so there's a snapshot here in Hebrews of the eternal kingdom. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Next slide. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's how we should respond. We should worship. We should be thankful. We should be grateful for what God has done and what God is doing. The writer of Hebrews was certain about his own eternal destination, that he would see this. Are you confident about that? Are you certain about that? Personally, I have a lot of questions about heaven. What did John see? that I don't understand. I know when I see it, it's all going to make sense. But I know I can live by faith until then. I'm not sure how I'm going to be spending my time in heaven. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be on a cloud with a harp. Um, And spending time, time is going to have a different meaning. Eternity is going to be different than a clock. I do not expect to be bored, but I I expect to be fulfilled. I I expect to be totally content, totally satisfied, totally filled. We have so much unhappiness because we want something more. There will be nothing greater. I will need nothing more. I will be totally satisfied, totally filled, and I think I'm going to be very active. The Apostle Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, and he, he says this, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I hope you have a lot of questions. I hope you're curious about heaven. It is for real. How should we live for heaven? Peter says we should seek to be holy and godly. We should be thankful. Writer of Hebrews, we should be worshipers. Until then, we will celebrate communion. Until then, we will remember. We will stop and we will remember what God has done for us. That he sent his son. That Jesus would die on the cross. That he would pay the penalty for our sin. And and God gave us a practice to remember. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. And so... um, we have a sealed communion, and we're just in a minute. We're going to invite you up. And communion is for those who, um, by sealed, it just the cup is sealed, so it doesn't spill all over you. It was a COVID thing. 
Um, communion is for those who have placed their faith in Christ, those who seek to follow Christ and honor him with their lives. If you've not yet made that decision, um, it's okay. I would just encourage you to think about this. Would you like to place your faith in Christ? Um, but whether you're a member of the bridge or not, it makes no difference. If you are a follower of Christ, we, we welcome you and we invite, invite you to join us to, to remember. And um, I'm going to thank the Lord for the bread and the cup. And then um, afterwards, uh, whenever you're ready, you can come up and uh, get your sealed communion and go back to your seat. And then you can just take it whenever, whenever you want to. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you uh, for all that you've told us about heaven. You've created a place for us. One day we will see it face to face and we will see you face to face. Until then, we have trouble and we have pain and we have dying and lots of heartache. And we have you to strengthen us and guide us one day at a time and enable us and empower us to live for you. And we give you thanks. Thank you most of all this morning for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he would die on the cross for us. Thank you that he has paid the sin penalty and that there's nothing I can do to pay it for myself or any other person in this room can do to add to what Jesus did. It was totally complete, and God the Father is totally satisfied. We thank God for the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. We thank God for the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. May we acknowledge our own personal failures, our own personal sin. May we ask you for forgiveness. May we be humble as we remember. For Jesus' sake.